0: New York went dark, so we patched over to D.C. They went down, LA, Chicago, uplink to London. He even called the affiliates to try to get them to catch the feed, but nobody answers. It's the same everywhere. Once the tripods start to move, no more news comes out of that area.
1: Well, welcome back, everybody, to take me to your reader discussing adapted science fiction at its best and worst. I'm Seth. What do I, What do I do? He's not here. You just say, and I'm Colin. And I'm Colin. <laughs> And uh, yeah, you heard that right. We don't have James with us because James is on vacation in warmer climes in South America. Last time he was heading towards South America and we recorded without him, Uh, the pandemic happened.
2: So gird your loins, people, is what I'm saying. I understand he had to have a special deal with the Secretary of State to leave the country again Mm. to go that direction. That makes sense. And so in place of James,
1: we we have another charming guest, uh, another one of Colin's offspring, who we have not previously had on the podcast.
0: Hi. Tim. I'm not James. I'm Tim, (laughs) Colin's youngest
1: son. Nice to have you, Tim. Thanks for joining us. Absolutely. Or letting me come over to your living room and record with you guys. (laughs) So, our topic. We are going to be talking about The War of the Worlds by H.G. Wells. And uh, The War of the Worlds has been adapted a lot of times, and so we're not going to be comprehensive by any stretch of the imagination. But one cool thing that uh, we got to go see was here in Vancouver. And uh, Tim, do you want to tell us about that?
0: Yeah, so a local group here in Portland called the Willamette Radio Workshop was putting on a live broadcast performance up in Vancouver, across the Columbia, of a live performance of the original Orson Welles adaptation of The War of the Worlds. Yeah. And uh, they had many different players and... uh, Foley artists. Foley artists. Yeah. Yeah, Right.
2: There were even, even some lighting effects that they played.
1: Yeah. Well, there was yeah, that big was green it? light that came on. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So if you get a chance, um, I, I'm sure there's, there's other, uh, other places that you can do that. Yeah. Other yeah. performances of that. And the radio play can be found you know, on YouTube in various places. Um, because it would have been weird to talk about this book and not talk about the radio play. Right. And so it just it just came up. I don't think we were really even planning on doing it until I think you found out about it.
0: Oh, right. the radio play. Yeah. 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 This just turned out to be like a uh, Halloween season event. That yeah. We just all wanted to go see.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It was the 85th anniversary of the original performance, which is why that, that night, that day was so, was so cool.
0: Right. Mm. But yeah,
1: so that, that was cool to do. We're also going to talk about the 1953, the kind of first major adaptation of this. I think there were some stage adaptations, but the first theatrical version from 1953. And then we'll also talk about the Tom Cruise, uh, Steven Spielberg version from 2005. And we may talk about the BBC one from a couple of years ago. Um, twenty like eighteen, the miniseries. 2019, yeah. 2019. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. yeah. So any, any previous history from anybody, uh, Tim, on The War of the Worlds? Had you read, seen, listened to?
0: No, pretty much the only thing I knew about War of the Worlds was the lore surrounding the, uh, the 1938, 1930s performance right. uh, on the radio. And the, the huge national scare that occurred. Right. Um, but this is my first time reading the original Wells work, that is H.G. Wells. <laughs> and uh, and seeing a couple of the film adaptations and
1: all's well that ends
0: well's uh, is, that, is that a title from a previous episode? Or- no, no. <laughs> uh, but yeah, we do
1: have more
2: than one Wells to contend with here,
0: exactly.
1: which is interesting. So,
0: what about you, Colin?
2: I in the past I've mentioned that uh, there was you know Channel Twelve in in available in Cottage Grove, Oregon, and they would play this movie on the afternoons. Uh, Channel Twelve would show this movie you know it would be cut because there would be you know, commercials inserted into it but the original movie the original 1953 mm. yeah i can't remember the first time i saw it but might have been in the 70s mm. never read the book never heard the radio play but of course knew about it it's you know it's pop culture everybody i think everybody knows about it yeah or maybe knew about it maybe not, not these days and i've to remember renting or borrowing from the library the tom cruise one but i remember nothing about it okay so you, you may have been working while watching it yes <laughs> might have been coding or doing something else. Nice. I, so I had read the
1: book. I was, I was just looking up in my little book database. I read a bunch of H.G. Wells one summer, but I don't think it was – I don't think War of the Worlds was one of them. Um, so I think I read The Invisible Man and The Time Machine maybe, but I, may, maybe I did. Um, all I know is I did read this one in 2005, right before the movie came out. Oh, Um, and then I I did see the 2005 movie in the theater. I had seen the 1953 one, probably on television as well. And part of that was, I think we may have rented it actually on VHS prior to the 90s or the 80s uh, series, because there was there was like a reboot version Mm -hmm. of of War of the Worlds that came out on television,
2: right? It was a sequel. Was it a sequel? It was Mm -hmm. a sequel, yeah.
1: Well, that's right, because, yeah, yeah, some of the aliens had survived, like, wearing hazmat gear and stuff, right?
2: No, it was even... I I read this last night. Okay. So, the the virus, the bacteria, only made them inanimate, and they were stored in a bunch of... Like hazmat cans. Oh, it's like return then, of the living dead. And then some terrorists <laughs> stole a bunch of mu- some nuclear material and put it next to the cans, which killed the bacteria and allowed the the uh, aliens to reanimate. So they took over their bodies, okay. so they could be humanoid, mm. and uh, proceeded from there.
1: Right, right. I remember being I remember being a little disappointed when the craft came out and it was flying and not obviously a tripod. Oh, in and, the 1953 movie? Yeah, after, mm-hmm. after I had read the, the book. I was like, oh, that's kind of a bummer. On the other hand, I don't know, it's kind of a nice callback, too.
2: You know, we talked about that, and I, I still think it's because doing the stop motion needed to animate those legs.
1: Yeah. You
2: know, they, they can hang something there, erase, you know, make sure the wires are hidden. And-
1: right. It's not like late 80s we had a bunch of computer-generated effects. I mean, you know, we had, uh, obviously, uh, The Last Starfighter, which is a universally beloved movie for everyone who's ever seen it tim oh, yes
0: right. you might find some contestants there, <laughs>
2: there.
1: <laughs> yeah i know this is it was a sore spot when we covered that oh yes <laughs> oh. That, that our boys did not love that movie the way we loved it but um, but that's okay so uh so yeah the book um i had previously read it at least once this time i listened to an audiobook which was okay so what did we think of the book tim what do you think
0: uh I, th- I thought it was very interesting of course, we've talked about how the style is something to get used to, and mm. it's, it can be a little bit of a barrier because that you can find paragraphs upon paragraphs in the middle of action um, where you just find these very dry descriptions yeah. and you know kind of philosophical and scientific hypotheses that, right. are, that are a drawn. little discursive. But yeah. and yeah. it's really hard to tell whether that's quote unquote objective descriptions coming from the author or whether it's the uh, just the speculation of the narrator and the, the character who's telling the story from the first person. Yeah, but, but it still really captures the imagination, and is very interesting. Yeah, there's a
1: few very evocative scenes in the book. Um, mm-hmm. and, and the one where he's hiding from the tentacle,
0: you know,
2: was, was one
1: that I remembered.
2: Yeah, with the, when he's hiding, hiding with the curate. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Now, you know, have, having read a lot of Stephen King, I was struck by all the things that really aren't talked about. If that was a modern – I think if it was written in modern day, we would have had like a, a very explicit description of them feeding off of human bodies yes. and uh, the way the people died due to the black smoke. And and I think it's just a – it's a difference in the times, you know. The book is over 130 years old, mm-hmm. uh, 125 or so. Uh, and interestingly enough, quick sidebar, it wasn't – originally made as a book it was serialized three
0: mm. years before oh of course and then we became oh. a novel after that mm-hmm. yeah that seems like a very common yeah. life cycle for was, a book during that time
1: definitely the kind of thing that was done and i mean even like a christmas carol was done that way right and that answers some of the slow pace at times i mean we've definitely talked about stuff where we're like at the beginning of each section of it it reintroduces what happened in the previous section which i just read um, <laughs> but you know in the original audience wasn't You know, they were reading it weekly or monthly. Um, And so this one doesn't really suffer from that, I don't think. It is a little slow, you know, Mm -hmm. Victorian. I guess it's
0: Edwardian, right? Edwardian.
1: Yeah. Um, I always just kind of think of anything in 19th century as Victorian. but I do too. It was a long reign.
0: It it, it might be slow, but it definitely has still a driving pace to it. It's mm -hmm. it's very, very even, but it also has, you know, some very good climactic moments.
1: One thing I thought was was funny, I I was thinking about it. I'm like, this is called The War of the Worlds. And yet all we have is this very narrow view of this one guy in England. And, and OK, this is my other thing, right? You're, you're an alien race deciding to land and conquer Earth. And why, why do you choose this tiny little nation to land on instead of like Russia? I mean, I know Britain thought it was the center of the Earth, but
2: the aliens didn't have to think that as well. I suppose that's true. But it says they had been watching for a while and Britain was and you know, kind of still is a world power. But back then it was even more so. You know, the sun never sat on the British Empire. Right. Um, and not just because it has, like, you know, holdings in a couple of different time zones around the world. Mm. I mean, literally, there were places in bands all around the world that were, you know, owned by England. Maybe they'd like the weather.
1: Or the food. Or the food.
2: <laughs> in this case.
1: <laughs> Well-fed that, British maybe, people? Yes. Maybe that's what killed them.
0: <laughs> maybe. <laughs>
1: I'll take the, the boiled perfect. beef,
2: please. Take that, Phil. <laughs> <laughs> that was from Tim. That wasn't, that wasn't me. So. You realize that come October, if we're taking a trip overseas, we're going <laughs> right. to eat those words. Maybe yes. literally. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, so, yeah, it's, it's an enjoyable read. I, I enjoyed it. It was pretty quick on, I think, on audio. It's only like four hours. So. Um, wow. Yeah,
0: 180 pages? Yeah. Uh, yeah. 200. Well, I guess it depends, depends on, on the your, pagination. Yeah. yeah. Mine was close to 250. Yeah.
2: Mm. yeah. According to this, there's only one page but I'm looking at it as a web page. And so it just scrolls and scrolls and <laughs> <It> scrolls.
1: <laughs> I read it that way. I, I printed off the Gutenberg version of it and read it that way. Are you serious? Yeah. You're wow. a madman. <laughs>
2: yeah. So if, if you do want to read this, you can buy it from your, your friendly local ebook retailer, or you can go to project Gutenberg because they have eBooks in many formats, or you can kick it up half a notch and go to a place called standard eBooks. And what standard eBooks does is they have a select, uh, grouping, a select set, a bunch of selected books um, from Gutenberg that they then highly polish. Mm. So nice cover art, good, good brace, good pagination, the works in the public domain. And so there's nothing hinky about doing it. Like you see on the internet archive. Right.
1: Cool. Uh, Anything else we want to talk about, about the book? I feel like it's one of those things where like it's in the pop culture and, and people sort of know the rough outline, but is there anything in the plot that you wanted to talk about that we can't talk about while we're talking about the other adaptations?
2: Okay, so so for my canonical things that I'm going to bring up later, I should probably talk about a few All All right, all right. Yeah. Let's, let's hear them. Uh, One is, is that uh, there are tripod walkers, not things that fly. Uh, there's a heat ray, and there's also the black smoke. And I'm not talking about anything that might come out of the south end of a podcaster. Okay. I'm talking about stuff that kills humans instead of making them uncomfortable in a podcasting room. Not all adaptations have that. Right. The red weed. The red weed. And I think that's another important part. There's some weird diversionary things that happen in the story. So we start out with one group, one, you know, one main character, and then we go and we f- end up following his cousin and wife for a while. And then we go back to the first guy. And so, yeah, maybe that was like extra bonus words because you're getting paid, paid by the word for these publications mm. back yeah, in the yeah. day. I don't know. Yeah. And it is completely all set in in England.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. in.
2: Places that uh,
1: your your British reader may recognize, but your American reader goes, that sounds very Britishy." Yes. Woking. Yeah. Go Woking, go Broking. No. The Woking Dead. <laughs> That's perfect, actually. Because <laughs> there's similar things, right? Because The Walking Dead is one of those after apocalypse sort of things, and this is kind of that as
2: well. Yeah. Although, you know, it, we talked about this, and we should, I'll probably bring it up again during the Tom Cruise talk, is um, in the book, there really aren't any antagonistic humans. There are people that are driven crazy. There are people that are greedy and a little power hungry, Mm -hmm. but nothing like we saw in the Tom Cruise movie. And so I brought up the phrase, you know, you kill the Martians, fear the Martians, kill the humans. Uh, No, you know, kill the dead, fight fight the the Martians,
1: fear the humans. Yes. Yeah. I mean, that's one of those things where I feel like, H.G. Wells may have been a little maybe society was different, right? Maybe uh, keep calm and carry on kind of kind of thing, and you know (laughs) keep a stiff upper lip kind of uh, idea. And maybe maybe British people are nicer and wouldn't uh, go all Lord of the Flies after a disaster like this. I don't know, but in America, the way it played out here in the Tom Cruise movie made a lot of sense to me. Oh, totally, yeah. Mm -hmm. Especially when there's firearms involved. What about you? Anything from the book, Tim? You wanted to highlight?
0: I feel like it'll be easiest to talk about the differences between the different yeah. adaptations as they rise up. And yeah. Well, once and we move on to the book,
1: you can never reference the book again on the podcast. Um, that's, that's a hard and fast rule we have, right?
2: Yes. We never double back. Never. <laughs> never jump forward. <laughs> never have side, sides that have nothing to do with the podcast. Right like Right in the middle now. of signing off, I'll be like, oh, hey, we never talked about it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> We go back. <laughs> See, I always figure you edit those back into place so that we sound really smart. I have done it on occasion
1: uh, when, it, when it makes sense. Um, I did that on a recent podcast, where I was like,
2: oh, we should talk about this. Wait, let's cover this real quick, and then I'll, I'll sew it in. Nobody will ever know. I always appreciate the editors for my podcasts, you and Phil, who make me sound so intelligent yeah. when I'm really.
0: <laughs> Just struggling along. Yeah. yeah I feel that.
2: Uh, is another crucial piece of adaptational accuracy that, that death by microorganism? Oh, yeah.
0: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
2: Is there any adaptation that we saw that doesn't have that? No.
1: You can even make an argument for Independence Day. The alien died because of a, because of a virus. <laughs> it, it, there's a lot of common DNA between Independence Day and, and... I mean, it's an alien invasion, right? thing. Um, where the, I think this is one of the earlier alien invasion pieces of literature. I don't know. I can't think of anything earlier, but I, of course, I don't have a great knowledge of that kind of thing. So somebody else who might be more uh, historically or literate, uh, knowledgeable, let us know if there's something earlier. Okay, so then we talk about radio play? Talk about the radio play. Yeah. I thought I thought that the the group in Vancouver did a fantastic job. Yeah. It was it was it was really fun watching the Foley artists do their thing. Um pick up little things that ticked and
2: and were <laughs> and, and, and were yeah. yeah. And they were giggling the whole time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they were having a great time. Yeah.
1: So and and you know to anybody who uh, is thinking oh, I don't want to sit through, you know, 3 hours of a whatever. It's an hour. So it's a a good way to to spend your time if you get a chance to sit in on something like that. Yeah. Uh, what do we, uh, well, uh, Orson so Wells. Th- this, yeah, this, this is worth mentioning that one of the adaptations, the most recent adaptation that we all watched is the first one that's actually set in contemporary times with the, with the way th- that is described in the novel. Um sorry, not contemporary times, you know, period times, right? Where everything else is more contemporized. So the Orson Welles version is set in, modern times of that time the 53 movie is set approximately 1953 i imagine the tom cruise one is set in the 2000s and uh that's interesting that we we didn't get an adaptation early on that was closer to the original period set forth in the novel
0: well i think for the radio play it was important to have it set in that time because the idea the whole idea the whole premise is this is happening now yeah it's supposed to be you know simulating an actual real-time alien invasion mm-hmm. so you know the whole the whole place starts with you know just regular broadcast you're listening to leisure music mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden these news bulletins start coming in yeah and we interrupt this broadcast to bring you right. and now we'll, report.
1: we'll send you back to herb Alpert and the teo brass you know <laughs> whatever it was i can't remember what yeah. the name was
0: yeah so 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 in that case i think it's is excusable because there, there was a particular revision and yeah a, a purpose for that I think, and I
1: haven't really looked into this too much, but I, I feel like there was an urban legend that there was a widespread panic and that it wasn't as big a deal as has been generally
2: understood. It was, when you talk about reach, it was widespread. It was all across the country.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah.
2: For the number of people that were affected, mm. I don't think it was, you know, in the millions. You, you couldn't have listened in for very long without getting the impression
1: that, oh, it seems like a couple of weeks just passed.
0: Right, like, it, as soon as you get into the back half of the, the radio play, you yeah. start hearing what sound like entries from a diary from the professor right. um, who made the original discovery in Mars and who were introduced to at the very beginning of the play. And, Even, and that's one of the things that kind of breaks the immersion. That, right. Like, okay, clearly several days have passed when really it's only been about 30 minutes. So, yeah, yeah one one would imagine that people who kept listening – and didn't totally evacuate their entire town. Like we were told happened in a local town in the state of Washington. Yep. Um, Oh really? Yeah. They, they they announced that at the beginning of the, Mm. of, of the performance. Hmm. Yeah.
2: Also, uh, if you're a member of PBS, and you can dig around or you go to Amazon. Uh, there's a great one hour long documentary about the radio play and all the effects. Okay. And one of the cool things about that is they hired a bunch of actors and actresses, put them in period costumes, shot fit, shot grainy black and white film, and had them perform letters that had been written to CBS. Oh, fun. About this. Fascinating. Um, one person said, you know, you... you that you ruined my meal, and so I'm sending you the bill for the horrible <laughs> ploy you have. But there were people that were legitimately upset and felt like it was an abuse of the radio because you want people to trust it, mm-hmm. and because of the because of the time when people started listening, or because they suspended belief, or because mm-hmm. they ran out before they could learn that it was just just a play because mm-hmm. it was really made as a sit as a set of news broadcasts. Uh, there was a judge who was planning on lobbying charges, never did. Mm. And he has a couple of these, these really choice choice quotes. One is talking about Orson Welles. He is a carbuncle on the rump of degenerate theatrical performers. (laughs) (laughs) And he called the overall thing, a consummate act of asininity. (laughs) (laughs) Assininity is a great word. Asininity, Yeah. Right. Um, It was called the panic broadcast because of its effects. Mm -hmm. Some people, because this was uh, right in the middle of world war, war after yeah, it was the middle of world war ii thought that the germans were invading so you turn in at the wrong time and you hear what sounds like you know the army is being deployed on the east coast and mm. this happened on a sunday night back in 1938 and it was known that hitler preferred to attack on the weekends because it demoralized people and now this is lead up to world war Two, right 1938 mm-hmm. not yeah. if you're from europe not if you're yeah but in, it was before we entered for sure right 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 yeah, yeah. But nobody knew what the extent of the war was going to be. Yeah, yeah. And uh, people were solidly convinced that there was intelligence on Mars. Right. Uh, Up to a point where they asked everybody to stop radio broadcasts for a while so that radio telescopes in the United States could listen in for broadcasts from
0: Mars. Mm. And that all happened as a result of this broadcast?
2: No, that's the lead up. So, you know, it's, it, World War II is happening in Europe. People think that Mars is, you know, occupied with intelligence and might have life because of a mistranslation of Schiaparelli's notes about the patterns of dust on Mars. Yeah. Canali versus can- canals. They interpret it as canals instead of lines. Hmm. Yeah. And, and the interesting thing is, you know, 80 years later, uh, we really haven't learned anything. People get their, their news off of social media most people don't take the paper. A lot of people don't take the time to watch the local news to find out what's going on from a trusted source. Yep. Mm, yeah.
0: and, and certainly people don't stick around long enough to read the full context of things. Some people only get their news from, you know, titles. Right, of, Google News headlines. Exactly. That's what I get
2: on my phone. I do that sometimes, too. Yeah. yeah. yeah.
0: But I, I, a lot of them I
2: follow up on, especially if they're important. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but being told by people that, that you trust, like, you know, this is, this is just like the flu. By April, it'll be gone. Right, good stuff though. Radio play.
0: Yeah, yeah. It, it was an excellent experience. The performances were really inspiring.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I feel like it's a good adaptation of War of the Worlds as well. Like it, it, it keeps all the all the main parts of it and doesn't stick around too long. It's uh, it's very uh, expeditious in terms of uh, you know movies cut a lot out of books, right? Radio play really cut a lot
0: out. Oh yeah, just, it's just only gonna... an hour long. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. But I like the fact that it it kind of it, it had it didn't have as sort of up close and personal, uh, a view. It, it, it shifted perspectives between people It had the professor, it had other people, you know, interviews with military guys and news, mm-hmm. uh, you know, news people and that kind of stuff, rather than following one solitary British guy.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Right different. It was, a gr- it was a good adaptation for an hour of time. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. uh, anything else to talk about, about the radio play?
0: Well, uh, this isn't just about the radio play, but much like the other adaptations, uh, the radio play starts with an opening and a closing narration right? Um, that's lifted directly from the book. In this case, uh, it was performed originally by Orson Welles himself, and mm-hmm. uh, we had a, a great performer performing this narration live. Oh, that guy, live had, that guy a had a terrific voice. voice. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Um, and, and this is something we see in many of the other adaptations. With Tom Cruise, it's read by uh, Orson Welles—sorry, uh, Morgan, Morgan Freeman. Morgan Freeman. <laughs> I should not have gotten those two mixed up. Uh, in uh, the 1953 George Powell version, Paul Frees. Paul Fries. That's right. Yes. He does the narration.
2: Yeah. You probably don't know Paul Fries, but there's a, a couple of voices you would recognize him doing because he was well known for doing voiceover work. He was Burgermeister Meisterburger in the Rankin and Bass uh, stop motion. Uh,
0: Santa Claus is coming to town.
2: Thank you, thank That's right. you. And he was also the voice of Boris. No good enough. No good enough. <laughs> from Rocky and from the Rocky and Bullwinkle show, where he you know bumbled bumbled with <laughs> Natasha.
1: They edited out all the bumbling for the kids.
2: Yes, that wouldn't so, have been appropriate. Yeah,
1: I think on that note, let's move into the 1953 movie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is relocated to California, the new center of the world. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> New York you could argue for, and I feel like the – I don't even remember where, where the, the radio play was set on the East Coast, right? Jersey. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah.
2: Yeah, they, they, they picked a place. And there was some lead-up that I'm not remembering where they were told at one point they could not do certain things. You cannot use the name of the U.S. military, like you can't use the Air Force. You can't hmm. use the name of actual people or actual towns. But by the time it was recorded – or you know, performed, lied, not recorded –
0: that was all back in. Interesting.
2: They were hoping the sensors weren't listening in. <laughs> I guess they didn't have a, a kill switch.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I mean, primarily they they mentioned Princeton being, you know, the location of the observatory. Right. So, yeah, that's definitely one of the things that
1: makes it seem real. Yeah, is it important to you in terms of adaptational considerations that these are Martians?
0: Good oh, God, yes, <laughs> of course. Yeah, not yeah, at all. It's, for it's, me. The, it's the most. It's it's the closest planet to Earth in terms of orbit. Um, it's the most similar in terms of, well, not the most similar, but... It's in the neighborhood. <laughs> right. It's, you know, it's a solid planet. It's not a gas giant. Right, and right. It's a rocky planet. Mm-hmm. Uh, to me, it, it's
1: not the least bit important. In fact, I would like in an adaptation to not have it be Mars, just because we know more now. Right? And so so as we move along, you have you have to move... <laughs> You have to add some plausibility or, I mean, I don't get me wrong. I love like the old planetary romances, like the, the Lee brackets stuff, like a shadow of oh. Mars <laughs> where, or, or, or John Carter of Mars, you know, that, that present this lush flora and fauna on Mars uh, and, and amazing things happening. I love that scientists ruined
2: it all by finding out that, no, Mars is a dead rock. Um, and it's
0: red, not green.
2: Yeah, 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 exactly. You know, I think it's important to point out that half of all the Martian experiments fail. And just because they haven't found the life yet just means they're smarter than us and they're hiding. Okay.
1: This is conspiracy (laughs) thinking, right? The fact that there is no evidence is evidence of the
2: conspiracy. Exactly.
0: We have to keep moving the goalposts. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. The lizard people
2: in the middle of the earth talk to the people in the middle of Mars and so they know what our technology is and can foil it so that we don't know they're there. Yeah. Yeah.
1: But so for me, anyway, because of the, the, the plausibility that I want to have in it, I can't have them coming from Mars.
2: Not anymore. Not anymore. And in fact, in the, in the television series that you mentioned, weren't they talked about coming from a different planet because Mars was known not to carry life now? No. In, in, in the 2019 one? No, the 1980s
1: version. Oh, maybe. I'm not sure. You could have it that Mars was a forward base, and that would work for me. Ah. Hmm. Um, from Mars and other places. From other places, but attacking from Mars. Yeah.
0: I feel like that contradicts with the 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 motivation for the aliens as mentioned in in the original of moving off of a Wells, dying world onto earth exactly that, that they're tran- using things like the black dust and the red vines that they're transforming earth into yeah they're they're, they're terraforming earth area, forming,
1: area forming earth uh, i see <laughs> if you've read the kim stanley robinson mars trilogy which i don't recommend um some people love it I hated it, uh, but they use terms like areology instead of geology.
0: I see the proper um, terms. Yeah,
1: okay. I, it it contradicts the understanding of the writer of the or of the of the narrator of the book. Right, that this is where they came from, um, mm-hmm. but it's not like they interviewed the Martians to find out what their motivations were.
2: <laughs> not yet, right? So I, they're, I think, they're I guessing.
0: Think it, I think it's implied enough. The fact that they they launch from Mars. Mm-hmm. Although that, that doesn't necessarily contradict your, your theory that yes. it could just be another forward base. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm telling you, we have not found where the aliens
1: actually came from yet, man. <laughs> Jesus was one, too. <laughs> oh, Jesus was a Martian? Or so uh, they say. Yeah. The interesting thing is, I had remembered, and, and you even indicated earlier, that in the 1953 movie, that these are flying craft. Yeah. But they are not. They're, they're, it, it says that they are on legs, that are mm-hmm. repulsor rays, essentially. And so, and, and you can see it. They just didn't do it very consistently in the movie. Oh. Um, so it is, they are moving around on legs. It's just the legs aren't physical. You know, they're not made of metal. Oh. And, and yeah, in and, and one of the very early scenes in High Enough Definition, you can, you can see them, but they, they didn't
2: really go through a lot of effort to always show that. They look like they're flying. You know, I just watched that today. I must not have been in high enough definition or my TV's too blue or... I'm not sure that I would have realized
1: else. it either. But when the first, the scientist guy is looking at him, he, he said, oh, it looks like they're
2: on some kind of repulsor ray or something. Oh, because they, they don't really fly like the machines they in hover. The Independence. They hover. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, yeah They're very, con- they're very even.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, it's almost like they're on wires. <laughs> you know, if you think about the the writing of the book, right? He's writing this book prior to Heavier than air flight. There's balloons, yeah, but 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 no heavier than air flight. As as he's writing that book, and so the idea of describing flying saucers is probably a little more foreign to someone in that time. Where by the 50s, we're post World War II. We have jets, um, mostly still prop planes, but we do have some jets, and uh, and so having a flying craft makes more sense as an adaptation of it. So I don't, I wouldn't object to it if it was a flying craft, um, because I feel like. This seems more formidable than, than a land-based
2: craft. Yeah, that's true. That's true.
1: The what do you think of the 1953 movie? You you've seen it before. Yeah. Um, did did you enjoy it on a rewatch?
2: I did. You know, there was a lot of uh, nostalgia there. It's like, oh, I remember that. I can mm-hmm. remember that. I have no idea how those all well, you know until I watched it recently from beginning to end. I had no idea how they all all these you know vignettes in my head stitched together to right, be a movie. Right. Yeah, yeah. But yeah.
0: What do you think, Tim? Uh, I only caught the tail end, okay, of the 1953 film, mm. so I, I don't have enough.
1: I have to say I I really enjoy the art design of of the flying craft, hmm. and, yeah. and the tentacle thing. It's very kind of art deco to me, um, mm-hmm. and I thought I thought it just looked terrific. It was charming. It, it adds in the whole Doctor Forrester and Sylvia love plot, which I didn't mind. Yeah, uh, yeah. she did. Um, she did scream kind of unnecessarily at one
2: point. which was like, I, I think it's pretty appropriate for the movies written in the 50s. I guess. And the 60s. Um, there was no black smoke. These people weren't here to try and uh, easily exterminate us. Right. Um, they had to kind of be down there doing their work, you know, Mano Martian, so to say. <laughs> yeah. um, and they, they, had a, they had the heat ray, which came out of the big center shot. But out of the, the wingtips, they had these disintegration beams. Right. And I began to wonder, is that because that the heat beam is too expensive in special effects? And so they would do these other mm. ones where they would just like, you know, highlight anything that was there, and then make it disappear. Right. Versus, you know, blow it up or...
1: Yeah, very much disintegration ray a la um, The Day the Earth Stood Still. Yeah. Similar, similar effects to that. Um, <laughs> a common thing that you'll find in sort of classic science fiction we 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 saw this in I think in The Fly or a couple couple of other places where there's going to be some explicit god mentions and and the the pastor is like well if they're more advanced than we are they must be closer to god <laughs> which is <laughs> precisely what we see the the more educated and advanced uh, societies get the more religious they become um always this is not what we see Tim
0: right it's, it's the <laughs> universe yeah. <laughs> yeah
1: but I thought it was funny of course then he gets disintegrated
2: isn't there some kind of uh Conflict or controversy as to how forward God is in the movie, because it's it's really the bacteria that kill it. But in right. in the movie, there everybody prays for deliverance from what's going to happen, and they all drop dead.
1: Right. Phil mentioned this on your on your podcast. Yeah, that, that he he thought it it kind of implies that that God smote them. I think that is really quite canonical to the book, because the the book mentions the destruction of Sennacherib and his army in the Bible. Um, and and kind of references as that maybe that's the kind of thing that was happening because that, that's, if you don't remember, a plague is sent on onto the armies of, of the Assyrians. And that's absolutely mentioned in the book. And so, so I didn't mind. They had sort of a reference to that in the movie. The other thing is like by one understanding of miracles, um, they're not necessarily the, natural order being upset it's just the timing of it being convenient
2: right yeah driven by plot versus right
1: right yeah. so it's natural effects that uh, bacteria find their way into the martians and and weaken
2: them well especially if you're slurping down humans right and there wasn't a lot of human slurping in that movie right no
0: mm-hmm.
2: no
1: it, it's cleaned up a little
2: bit so you know i didn't i didn't mind
1: that part of it just because i felt like it's canonical to the book with that mention of sennacherib mm-hmm. so that's from the book of Kings, by the way, first or second Kings, second Kings, I think. Um, and also like religious people who were praying for deliverance would definitely interpret those events as being an answer to prayer.
2: For- forgetting that the people that died six hours ago were also praying for deliverance. Correct. And right, so right, right. God liked them better than the...
1: Th- that's the way it always goes though, right? When, when there's disasters happening, um, some people are spared and some people aren't. And, and so you're like, oh, so you're saying that God answered their prayer, but not theirs? Yeah. Yeah.
2: That's a poor thing to justify your faith on
1: it is yeah but uh, but yeah i enjoyed the the 1953 film i hadn't seen it in ages um but uh, i thought it was good the craft had shields yes in the 50s movie which again that's another thing of you know the 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 weaponry of the edwardian times was not as effective as post-world war ii weaponry and so you have to make the enemy that much stronger and so adding the shield i thought made a lot of sense
0: right in 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 the novel it's it's usually projectile weapons as opposed to you know projectile and chemical right optionally nuclear and mm-hmm. and they took a couple of them down in the book, right, yeah,
2: yeah, I think they got in a lucky shot with a twelve pounder mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. then a boat rammed another one, but then the as the alien ship was was going down and it's, I think it's important to make a distinction here these were tall, like taller than trees, mm-hmm. but they, they had, there was like one Martian cupped in the middle of it, and then he had tentacles, and he was walking along. And yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah, the size of the craft definitely increased with adaptation. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, yes.
2: I think the other interesting thing that the 1953 movie brought in was the beginning of this idea that panicked and greedy humans – are a major problem. And this mm. starts when they first find the craft because they're going to open up a tourist attraction. Right. And they're saying, well, you can put it in picnic tables. No, you can't put it in picnic tables and people would bring their own food. Like, <laughs> you have, you, they obviously have no concept of what's about to happen. Right. Right? And then later on, the professor needs a bunch of equipment to try and figure out what's going on with the aliens. Mm. And he is robbed and they steal this scientific equipment and go screaming off away in a truck. Right. Everything that they would need to
1: analyze the Martian physiology and come up with a a countermeasure for them exactly yeah yeah that would have been an interesting way to make it a super downer ending (laughs) the martians win because of a bunch of a a riot of a bunch of people destroyed all the equipment i could go
2: for that
0: yeah that would definitely be a more more tragic adaptation yeah yeah yeah. it
2: would work yeah
0: yeah That, that reminds me a unique thing about the novel is that the very beginning is very very slow there there's almost a week or so. M- many days that pass from the time the first craft lands in the Horsel Common, and many people don't even hear about it. Many people go about their lives because yeah. the craft hasn't fully Open. started to wander and invade. Mm-hmm. Um, it has caused some destruction locally just around the crash site. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, yeah. But, no, that's a good point. I mean, yeah. news didn't travel as quickly, right? True.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You're You're... Not sending carrier pigeons necessarily, but uh, but uh, let's see. I, they had mm-hmm. the telegraph in I guess they did have telegraph, yeah. right? So, um, But that's that's another thing that would, that would make it so that you would want to increase the speed of the emergence of the aliens as technology improves with your adaptations.
0: Right. As we see in later adaptations, it it stops becoming like a...
1: There's not a lot know, of buildup.
0: Yeah. Right. It's a full-on assault yeah. from the very beginning. Mm-hmm. We'll get to it, but in some adaptations, I think it's... A little too fast, and, um.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, the book talks about too. Like they're not necessarily here to exterminate everybody, right? They they want to dominate and take over, but they're they're not just going around slaughtering absolutely everything. A lot, and, it, and it, there's a good chance that they're going to off you if you come near them. But uh, I'm not sure what the intent was, other than just well, we're we're the new bosses here now. In '53, yeah, yeah. No, no, in the in the book. Oh, in the book, yeah.
2: Well, no, it talks about leaving a dying planet,
1: doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. The, the, yeah, they left their planet behind, and they're like, no, this is, I'm the captain now.
2: We're, we're moving in, you little ants. Yeah, yeah exactly. Mars is a dying yeah. Plan, planet. Yeah. yeah,
0: yeah. And this is mentioned in the radio play. Um, there, there's a, a scene inspired by it in the Tom Cruise one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I didn't do any math
1: about the timeline of the launches and the landings on Earth. <laughs> But I felt like they were a little fast.
2: Oh, a- Amy did in the, ni- the 2019 version. That's right. That's right. I forgot about that. Yeah. Yeah, we- we'll get to that, though. There- okay. There's a lot of things about that thing I liked, and there's a mm-hmm. bunch of things I don't like. Yeah, me too. One of the things is, you know, she's really smart, and she's not afraid to show it. Yeah,
0: yeah. Are we moving on to the BBC adaptation before we go on to Spielberg? or
2: uh, Spielberg's chronologically next. It is. So. And 2005 is a very interesting year for War of the Worlds adaptations. Right, okay. post 9-11. Yeah. yeah. Post 9-11, and that's one of the things that they bring up in the, in the Tom Cruise movie. But let's just take a quick poll. How many War of the Worlds movies were released in 2005? I don't know, Colin. How many were released in 2005? You have a guess? <laughs> Tim? Well, at least one. At least one. You want to go for two? I'll take two. Wrong.
0: Why, why do I feel like that's a conservative <laughs> answer? <laughs> the answer is three.
2: Wow. Wow three uh one of them was an asylum movie which was trying to capitalize on what was coming out with with the tom cruise movie uh and that's the one with c thomas howell i cannot find that movie anywhere (laughs) (laughs) and there's a third one from Pendragon pictures Mm. it was released directed to dvd
0: Mm
2: -hmm. nice i don't think that any of them were as successful or popular as the tom cruise war of the worlds no that uh the tom cruise one did pretty well if i recall correctly yeah made 603 million Mm. dollars Uh, Rotten Tomatoes score of 75%. Yeah,
0: it's a very entertaining and a
1: very good film. So I saw it in the theater. I oh. thought I had seen it with you, but I think I probably saw it with my
2: brother-in-law. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. It's a really enjoyable movie. I mean, it's got a redemption story in it. It's got a dad story in it. And I'm a sucker for those movies, yeah, just in are. general. But I hold two things against it. One is, there was no black smoke. And two, slander against hummus. Hummus is delicious. No, no, the other one is... I completely do not buy the subterranean pre-planted, we had to wait hundreds of years to invade the Earth plotline.
1: My my, uh, swizzling of that one to make it make sense is the aliens came to Earth, I guess, before there were a lot of people and buried the machines and were like, okay, once once there's enough food around here, we will emerge.
0: Well, it can't have been that early because, I mean, the island of Manhattan was built... Like, within the last 300, 400 years, probably. Well, we don't have... We're not on Manhattan at any point, are we? It
1: was in New Jersey.
2: No, the first one? The 2005 movie? Yeah. They were definitely in New York. Oh, well, the, the Wikipedia says New Jersey, but you okay, could be wrong. You know, that's not far mm-hmm. from New York, so. Yeah. If, you, if you're going to go shop grocery shopping on Earth, you'd want to put it in places where the humans are going to be, and yeah. you wouldn't do that hundreds of years. And I was willing to try and do the swizzling that you're talking about, just mm-hmm. to give it the benefit of the doubt, until we have to resolve, you know, lighten- uh, aliens that ride the lightning down versus aliens that walk around and have faces and mouths and appendages. That, that's where it's like, okay. I think you've completely lost your plausibility here. Mm. Um, we can enjoy it for what it is, but mm-hmm. come on. Could, if you, you, deserve better. You, should,
0: you think they should just walk onto Earth and climb into the ma- their machines instead of riding a dagger?
1: Or being in, in hibernation under the ground if they're going to commit to the under the ground thing, and then the lightning is just waking them up.
2: Right. Yeah. No, no. Uh, I'm completely cool with something a la uh, uh, Day of the Triffids. Oh, we've encountered a new meteor swarm. We seem to be getting impacts all over the Earth. Yeah, oh yeah. no, the meteors are opening, mm-hmm. and now you can have something and it just go along instead of saying instead of making something that makes me and mm-hmm. may, maybe other people probably not <laughs> get pulled out of you know their their disbelief. Right, right, right. Yeah, I
1: mean that's that's the most implausible thing, right? That they've been buried there for how long? We, we don't know.
0: Right. So some some of the I mean the the whole idea of world to worlds all the way back to H.G. Wells is that. This technology is so far advanced that we don't even understand it. Um, that, that's what,
1: that's why I was saying they're miniaturized, and the lightning just made them bigger.
2: <laughs> every <laughs> every strike, they got bigger and bigger until they broke through. So you think that's the visible effect of the teleporter beam? Uh,
1: no, no. Most of the lightning was not delivering a a rider. Most of it was it was was increasing its size and charging it up. Ah, yeah, charging up their arc reactors.
0: W- we'll let that <laughs> be your <hedge> head, <laughs> A really interesting thing about the Tom Cruise film is, I don't believe there's any mention of their planet of origin. Correct. They, they're never called Martians. Right.
2: That's right. Yep. We think of them, I, I, I think of them as Martians, because I know it's the war of the world, and I know the history of that. Right. The, the point of origin, like Seth has talked about, really doesn't matter in an absolute sense. Yeah.
0: Right.
1: Yeah, and... The, we don't have in the 2005 movie the seeing the launches on Mars, right? Because of that, because it doesn't say We're, where they're from. It just right, starts with no, talking about the EMPs and the
0: lightning. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's no astronomer character. There there are news reports of yeah. you know, observations from space and mm-hmm. other countries, but right, nothing, nothing astronomical th- that we know about.
1: Nothing that warns of the invasion, really.
0: Yeah. And, you know, in today's world,
2: that would be a hard thing. You know, we spend a lot of time looking for near-Earth asteroids, observing other planets. It would be hard for someone to make a launch off Mars that we have satellites around and rovers on and not know about it yeah. before we got here. Yeah. yeah.
0: yeah. I mean, the rovers themselves would be able to, to sense the, the seismic in- impacts of launches from that planet. Mm-hmm. Although not in 2005. The seismic lander only went down in the last... 10 years,
1: probably less. The, the other thing is that we talked about this before, right? Like the speed of information in 2005, vastly faster than in 1953. Um, you know, radio back then, you could, get, you could get news around the world pretty quickly, you know, teletype or telegraph. Yeah, <laughs> yeah telegraph. But, but here in the internet age, it's got to be fast from, from them starting, starting up to limit our information. And that's the, where the brilliance of the adding in the EMP, because the city goes dark no information comes out.
2: Well, it is very canonical to the, other, to the other movies, right? It's mentioned at least a couple of times that as soon as an area begins to have these effects, all news from that area stops. Yeah.
0: yeah.
1: And you need something like an EMP for that to happen. You'd think there would still be some shortwave stuff that could happen. But I guess if it's an EMP, it's taken out
2: everything, right? Yes. Aside from a, a Dodge minivan.
1: Well, once you've replaced the solenoid, yes. obviously. <laughs> like a rock? No. that's a, Is that Dodge? Or is that Ford? Or Chevy? No, I can't remember.
0: <laughs> Actually, I I might, could be wrong about this, but I might, I'm not sure. It if, was a you know, dodge,
1: in case you're wondering.
0: <laughs> <laughs> we're moving on. So. Uh, w- was I wrong about there being no mention of Mars? I mean, I, I feel like if there were one place, it would be in the narration voiced by Morgan Freeman at the no, very beginning. It, it's, not, it's not explicitly exactly. Mars,
1: it just says that creature, that beings from somewhere else.
0: Right. We're being watched. Dang it! Like a rock
2: is a Chevy thing. <laughs> sometimes, sometimes being solid like a rock is good because it means dependable. Sometimes it means it's really hard to shove down the road when it dies. True.
1: Um, you, this is the plot armor movie, right? Our, our our POV character has very strong plot armor.
0: Well, he's Tom Cruise. Yeah, he, he can outrun anything.
1: <laughs> <laughs> this isn't the worst stuff he's gone yeah. through, I'm sure.
0: I, I was. I was more baffled by the plot armor surrounding the sun oh my goodness uh, who yeah. wants wants to be his own man and so he runs towards the line of fire and yeah. supposedly gets subsumed by this huge fireball i'd be um,
1: i'd be very curious if that was a test audience thing that people reacted badly to him dying because all they had to do was bring oh. him in for one scene at the end because he was never in the rest of the movie until then
0: i, I don't know that we can say yeah. any no no we can't we oh. can't
1: but but i wouldn't be surprised
0: yeah Because there's no mention of him, and then, and then he's magically there. Yeah, he shows up in Boston ahead Mm -hmm. of ahead of uh, Tom Cruise and his daughter. Yeah, yeah.
2: And I was really disappointed in that whole character change because at first he's really, really protective of his sister. Right. right. Yeah. She's the one, he's the one that she runs to when she's scared. He protects her. He accuses his dad of not caring about them. Yeah. And that he's that he's the only one who cares about his sister. And then all of a sudden he has to go to the top of a hill to look at a battle. I'm like,
1: well, he wants to join up, right? He's, I, th- I think he's saying, I want to protect everybody's sisters. I... If, if, if you want to give, the, because when, when they get on the ferry at some point, right, he climbs up and he's helping other people get on. Right. Um, so, so yeah. he, he isn't super, super selfish, right? They're not presenting him that way. And so I I want to put the kindest spin on it and say that no he he just feels like we need to fight back and it's a higher priority to to be there with him although you know Tom Cruise Ray says to him right there's nothing alive that direction so don't yeah. don't go that way
0: mm-hmm. yeah
1: i was kind of thinking that the buried underground thing was like a like they were buried underground the, the mars civilization is dead and the, you know like they're just living in a cave someplace in jars you know just as disembodied minds which which is kind of like the book talks about the physiology of the Margin, martians and oh yeah it's it's guesses right it's P, from the pov character expressing his opinion on this that they've they've developed to the point that they're almost entirely minds and they have these vestigial limbs that aren't worth much like in wally <laughs> <laughs> very much. <laughs> the brains were the size of very fat humans, but um, and and we're you know rich with pizza, and so they're coming to our planet. <laughs> yes. Uh, there's sudden Tim Robbins and Tim Robbins shows up, and he's he's essentially like the curate character plus the artillery artillery man. Yes. You know, um, the 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 very personal face of of humans going crazy and being a danger. Um, but there's the earlier scene where they get pulled out of the
0: car, which is quite right. visceral. Yeah. Um, right. That, that that's more talking about the theme of mob mentality and yeah and total societal panic mm-hmm.
2: um i totally thought tim robbins was going to end up being a cannibal because <laughs> he was an ambulance driver he talked about you know he was intimately familiar with when people die and how they die and mm-hmm. they made the point of showing something on his hip and it seemed very significant it's like oh this is chekhov's thing but I, I couldn't tell what it was yeah yeah and it never never came back around anyway so yeah that, mm-hmm. i i I had looked away so i didn't see it right uh but that that seems very
1: effective when when he ray realizes this guy is going to get us killed yeah um, and yeah. that you know making making that decision that i i have to i have to stop this guy right. which is it's you know very much something that occurs in the book mm-hmm. yeah yeah the poor curate driven crazy by his faith mm-hmm I did think it was a little weird that he's like, this guy's making too much noise, okay? So plug your ears and sing a song while I go and beat him to death with a shovel.
2: <laughs> and then slam the door. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like,
1: if, if, your struggle needs to be pretty quiet, too, right? You you, you really can't bludgeon him to death with a shovel, um, even though you saw that uh, Tim Robbins was sharpening it. Oh, and his name was Ogilvy, which is a name from the book. Yeah, that's the, the astronomer. Yeah, yeah. I I, I think when I saw the movie after reading the book, I wasn't a huge fan of it, but uh, on a rewatch, I, I enjoyed it quite a bit more.
2: Yeah. I wish, I wish I had taken the time to get a DVD or a Blu-ray from the library and done a lot of the, you know, behind the scenes and the featurettes and the deleted scenes to see what other things were here. It, <laughs> yeah. was, it was really pretty good.
1: Yeah. Yeah. The effects were good. They, they, I I mean, I didn't think they were absolutely amazing. Uh, the 2005 effects, but I, I thought they held up reasonably well. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, uh, The heat ray scene, where where he's running away and the plot armor is keeping him from getting killed, while everybody's (laughs) clothes are flying because the heat ray only—it's a microwave ray—it only uh, blows up things with a bunch of water in it and Um, bones, ugly bags of mostly water. Um, Yeah, and uh, and then when he's covered with all the dust, that was that was pretty cool.
0: More in two thousand and five, or is that kind of wrapped? This is this film also has shields around the walkers. Yes, yes, Uh, and they are indeed walkers. They have. Right, they're tripods, it's yeah. Tripods. They have legs that come in contact with the crown. They're not energy beams. Mm-hmm.
2: Yep. And every, I noticed that every foot had three mechanical toes, too. Yep. And then they have some, like, you know, tentacly things hanging down that they use for grabbing people. Yep. And
0: Were those, like, toes to the feet, or was that, like, a completely different vehicle?
2: I, I thought they were toes to the feet. I thought mm-hmm. they were toes to the feet, but then okay. even, even the grabby
1: things had tentacles, too. But, like, it's it's pretty—this It's this is the grimmest of the movies, um, because, you know, showing, essentially, the— uh, the human Cuisinart thing that they do. And then they spray the human smoothie uh, out onto the, onto the grass
2: to make, and there was some debate as to whether or not they were feeding themselves and like blowing out the leftovers. Right. right. Or if that was you know and all fertilizer.
1: Ogilvy was like, they're drinking people and then spraying us out, you know? So I think he was saying the machines are drinking us and then spraying them out. Not, not quite the way it works in the book where, which doesn't, you know, it's, it's the kind of thing where I'm not always willing to credit, scientific understanding I mean it doesn't make a lot of sense to say you're going to take their blood and use it as your blood Um,
2: especially if you don't understand
1: if the physiologies are not compatible and you know blood types and we talked about this with Dracula right transfusions Mm -hmm. like well I guess hopefully you got lucky and everybody's the same blood type
0: so yeah enjoyed it you enjoyed it yeah it was a good film yeah 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 very entertaining
1: Okay, so 2019 uh, BBC version. I didn't know you guys were going to watch this. And so I I started watching it the other night. And I'm like, you want to watch this? It's got Eleanor Tomlinson from Poldark in it. And she's like, oh, okay, sure. And so so we watched it. And then she refused to watch any other Wars of the World with me.
2: Oh, that's so bad. (laughs) Because there's a lot of good things to watch.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, so this is a, like a three hour Three plus hour version because of three episodes. Yes, mm-hmm. um, like I said, it has Eleanor Tomlinson, Rafe Ball, Robert Carlyle. Um, Carlyle is playing Ogilvy, yes. and then and then Eleanor and Rafe, Eleanor Tomf- Tomlinson and. Rafe Spaller playing uh, George and Amy who are pariahs because he has left his wife and shacked up with her right. and is trying to get his, his wife who it was like an arranged thing and trying to get her to divorce him so that they can be together. And I'm not sure why we need that in the war of the world's adaptation. Yeah. This, this, this
0: adaptation just had a few lines to touch on like one social issue at a time. And it had a few of them sprinkled out sprinkled throughout the whole series, you know, you had the, the social pariahs and you know infidelity in marriage. Mm-hmm. Um, you had women knowing their place because right. um, the main, the main, well, Amy, Amy, mm-hmm. who's pretty much the main character. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We start off with she's our POV character, George. Yeah, but she's educated, but, right? She's educated, and she's the assistant to um, the Ogilvy character. Yeah. Um, this time it's Ralph Professor Carlyle? Carlisle.
1: No, it's Ogilvy. His name is Ogilvy. Oh, okay. Yeah. Robert Carlyle is the actor from The Fall Monty. Right. And uh, 28
0: Weeks Later. Stargate Universe. There you go. Yeah. Um, What else is there? There, There's a bit of theology and, you know, supposed Darwinism versus the faith kind of conflict. But only for a few lines at a time that it tackles each of these social issues. It's so so out of place. Some of it is. Like, I, I could see
1: having that, you know... This one leans much more into the post-apocalypse of it, because just because the aliens die off doesn't mean that everything's back to normal. And so that's that's one of the, the things that this introduces is a flash forward showing what's happening in the aftermath. And you don't know if it's in the aftermath uh, or if it's just things have gotten really, really bad.
2: Yeah. So in, in the first episode, we get 50 minutes of what's going on to George and Amy with a Martian invasion. And then there's a cut scene. Mm-hmm. And that's what, that's what Seth is talking about. We seem to be many years in the future because she has a son who is... Four, quite well old. spoken. Yeah. I was going to say 6 or 7. Mm-hmm. It's it's the kid
1: who was in um, Demeter. That that, Seriously? that that kid was was the kid in The Voyage of the Demeter. No way. Yeah. Wow. I'm like, I know I recognize that kid. He's much younger cuz this is, you know, 4 years before Demeter. Sure. But uh Great
0: but yeah.
2: casting. Yeah,
1: he's he's a good actor. So.
0: Oh, another interesting casting is uh Harry Melling. Oh yeah. Who plays uh Dudley. Well, he's most known for playing Dudley in the Harry Potter series. Right, right. Um but he's he's played Many he's other a great soldier parts. in this one, yeah. That's right. He, he's yeah. basically the the stand-in for the artillery man. Mm-hmm. Um, I did like the bit where he, he gets picked off very early. He does,
1: yeah, yeah. I did like the bit where the the officer is like, "We're taking volunteers.
0: <laughs> you just volunteer." <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, pointing his rifle at him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's another one of the social issues, like the, the duty as a man. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, and people people aren't willing to listen to Amy, even though she is is quite knowledgeable and knows you know things about how how long since the launches you know when should we expect the next capsule
0: right because she she comes and because she's been a, an assistant to Ogilvy the astronomer, mm-hmm. she has the pictures that Ogilvy took of Mars and the multiple and the launches, launches yeah. and you know emissions of of gas from the planet mm-hmm. and she presents these to some uh like the the secretary of war mm-hmm. and Um, The assistant secretary of war, who is George's brother, brother. Brother. Mm -hmm. older brother. Yeah. Oh, and and that brings up another interesting social issue that they briefly bring up, which is British imperialism of that time. Mm. And now they're on the receiving end of it. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, Rupert Graves, by the way,
1: is that that other actor, Uh his brother.
0: In the second episode, it's George who hypothesizes that it's our own fault that they they came down to invade us because we've been expanding all over the globe. And so, right. therefore, they have. A, they, they thought it was their duty to come and invade us, right? which is very strange, especially considering, like, you know, because we've seen the advancement of the society and there have been many different adaptations um, of this work throughout the years. It, it doesn't really make a lot of sense to me that, you know, human supremacy would be the main reason for them attacking, especially because, you know, we've seen how much the human civilization has advanced since then. Yeah, yeah. So, it falls a little flat to me. And it doesn't – there's no mention of that being the motivation for the Martians in the book. Right, So,
2: No, but uh, when Wells was asked why he originally wrote it, he said it was inspired by the British colonization of uh, Tasmania and what was happening to the Aboriginal people there. mm.
0: Well, sure. I I understand that it's definitely – there's a strong – allegorical potential for the story yeah. and there's there's definitely a moral to it yeah um but having that not be a meta analysis but having it being mentioned More in explicitly. the story directly yeah just didn't make a lot of, of sense to me um,
1: it
2: wasn't woke enough they had to, <laughs> had, to, had to wake it further. <laughs> well, I think uh, they just put something explicitly in that was understood at the time by talking to the I, author. I agree, yeah. yeah.
0: yeah. And oh, the we most didn't... important thing about this adaptation that we forgot to mention is that it is the only period piece out of all these adaptations. Yeah, that's what I was going while, to say. While each adaptation has been taking place in its own time, this one filmed in... Uh, Edwardian times, yeah. In 2019 mm-hmm. um, is set in right. like 19... Between 1900 and 1905, yeah, and then with with some flash flash forwards, mm-hmm. um, five or six years later, yeah, and and that's the 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 set is very. The setting is very immersive. The The costuming and yeah. Production values them. are all
1: good.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah. yeah. It seemed to me one of the most canonical adaptations. It had
2: lots of the right beats there. There's, it did. there's the main character and his cousin and, and, you know, trying to find his wife, which mm-hmm. was part mm-hmm. of the story. There's the trip to the beach, which is right out of the story. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's talk about, you know, the black smoke, which is there and actually ends up killing the secretary of war so that George's brother becomes elevated uh, in the government, which kind of doesn't make sense because there's really no government anymore. Yeah. I got lost in the last episode where they were talking about, you know, we're trying to find some antidote for what's going on because apparently the arrow forming of the planet was still happening at that point. Mm.
0: Yeah. It's uh, unlike all the other adaptations where exposure to earth's atmosphere, either by the, the, the the machines or the aliens themselves or the red vine. Mm -hmm. Um, it all dies off very quickly. Yeah. Whereas in this adaptation, you know, the red vine has been decimating the earth and right uh, and I, dominating for at least five years. Yeah. Uh,
1: I feel like that comprehends. The reality of things better, right? Because in, in a right. given population, right? Yeah, ninety eight percent might be affected by something, but there's going to be some natural immunity for somebody, right? Somebody's going to have a, a weird gene that says, "Oh, turns out that streptococcus doesn't affect me," you know, and or typhoid, um, you know, typhoid Mary thinking, um, mm-hmm. and so some of it it didn't have to all die off. And this is this is one of my biggest problems with all the adaptations of the war of the worlds is I want one that doesn't end this way.
0: Right. All you you would have thought that the aliens would be intelligent enough to, you know, at least sample some of the, the biochemistry to have on the earth and to have, and to, you know, realize that, Oh, this is toxic to us. We shouldn't go down there. Willy nilly.
1: Right. Right. Well, or like, you know, hmm, uh, water really affects us badly. Let's go to this blue planet.
0: <laughs> you know, <laughs> like in science, right? In so- oh, yeah. oh yeah.
2: But
1: you know, yeah, I, I like, I want a version where the, the, Martians have nanotechnology to the point that, you know, microorganisms don't affect them. They're, they're, they have synthetic immune systems. Mm-hmm. Um, and and then something else is their vulnerability. I don't know what, but like, I want to see that because we've already had canonical-ish adaptations. And so I want to see something that does
2: something different. Like Tootsie Rolls. Yes, they are. They are vulnerable to Tootsie Rolls. <laughs> no, but I want to bring up a part about, you know, since this was inspired by British colonization, there had hundreds of years of experience of bringing... Uh, microbes into new communities and destroying the community sure, completely, yeah, yeah. and so there isn't a guarantee that if you were far enough removed from the microbes on yeah. Earth, that you may there may not be any immunity.
0: I suppose. Yeah, right. The idea that it happens in reverse. Yeah, right? I mean, that, that the the conquerors get exposed to pathogens in the place that they're trying to colonize, and that affects them rather than them bringing smallpox and decimating populations. Yeah, right, right. yeah. I have to say that this adaptation is the most gruesome. I, I disagree that it's the Tom oh, really? Cruise one. Yeah. Because we do see one instance of, uh, An alien vampirization, yeah. yes. um, but it's <laughs> hidden behind a car. There's very violent stabbing, but, mm-hmm. um, in this adaptation, we see it full bore. True. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. And several, several occasions. Um, yeah, that's th- fair. there's the most gruesome death is, uh, When the Secretary of War is subsumed by the black smoke, and all of a sudden, oil comes out of his his mouth and black oil, yeah,
2: black
1: oil, yeah. That's a good point. I guess the the gruesomeness of the 2005 movie is more implied,
2: right? I think it's more. It's also more of a scale thing. Like when the when the plane crash happens, yeah, there's not a single body that you see. True, right? I guess they've already been all cherry picked by the.
1: They're on the island. Yeah.
0: Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Another problem I have with this adaptation is the pacing. It just—I'm not it sure happens. it needed to be three hours. Yeah. Well, I, I think it, it needed to be longer. Well, they—they they could have cut out a lot of the future stuff. Okay. I think that was something that really bothered you, Dad. I didn't care for the flash forwards. No. Yeah. Mm. Um, but it was very clear to me that there were definite skips in time, and maybe there were problems in editing, and they had to really pare it down because yeah. all of a sudden you're meeting new characters and characters pick up. Different items, but you you never see how they came across them. Mm-hmm. Um, just some things are are just aren't explained.
1: Yeah, um, like I said, I didn't mind the flash forward because of the the right. fact that it sort of is an additional point on the well. Okay, are they all dead? Or or you know what what is the earth like after this? Right, things don't just go back to being peachy when you've been invaded like mm. this. No. I, I
0: think it does a good job of showing that. Yeah, um, there are certain very small populations often around churches because one of the revelations is that graveyards are toxic to the red vine. Um, right. And that's yeah. where
1: you get that discussion of evolution and God's design. Exactly. Yeah. 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 God um, made his taste bad. Right.
0: Yeah. But, but there are some, there are some serious jump cuts. Like they're, yeah. they're in Woking, they're around London. And then all of a sudden one cut later, they're on the beaches and yeah, they're I guess ready that's... to cross the English channel into Dunkirk. And yeah. So as opposed to just crossing the Thames okay um, so you're you're
1: saying it could have used six episodes to to develop it fully,
0: probably I wouldn't have watched six yeah, episodes. I don't think though, I would have either it, it was we only watched the first episode and then we had to take a long break because it was, it was a I kept, little insufferable I, I kept telling you guys you, you you don't need to finish it.
1: I watched it and we we don't have to discuss it I can just mention it but uh
0: yeah no. but, but i'm I'm glad we did uh it was very illuminating yeah definitely
1: well your your dad mentioned that um that sometimes you know when we watch for the first time an adaptation of a book and then immediately record, right? There's no soaking time. There's no time to take it in and, and mm-hmm. think about it and think, did anything of that stick out to me? Where he was saying with this in particular, like being able to absorb it and go, oh, there was some nicely canonical stuff in there mm-hmm. um, where the initial reaction was, I don't think I like that. <laughs> um, and and maybe that's just your, your brain being like, okay, What's the positive I can come out of this? Because I know you're a very positive person. Yes, I'm not <laughs>
2: critical or uh, skeptical or anything else at all. Yeah. Did uh, anyone watch anything that we haven't
1: covered, like on a one-off? Or no, I didn't watch Mars Attacks. I didn't rewatch Independence Day. Um, <sighs> oh, very Mars-like. And I didn't. I didn't go and look for because there's a whole bunch. Like if you search on Prime Video for War of the Worlds, there's a whole bunch of stuff that's on different services. And I think one of them is like the Asylum thing. There's War of the Worlds: The Attack. You know, uh, which I guess is. A movie, there's a there's a, a more recent series or an earlier series. The 80s series? No, no. I, I, or maybe it's.
0: I think the series from the last couple of years was.
1: Oh. I, I okay. thought there was. I thought there was another War of the World series other than the BBC one. Yeah, the, the one from the 80s. No, but I'm talking about more recent than that. Oh, more recent? Uh,
2: no, no clue. We'd have okay. to Wikipedia well, we'll,
1: we'll throw this to the audience and say, you know. What other War of the Worlds stuff have you consumed? And is there anything that's that's worth checking out? Any other television series, movies? I think it would be interesting, we were talking about this, that it's War of the Worlds, right? And yet all we've had is versions of this from the English-speaking world. And I'd love to, to, like, to hear more about uh, how the Japanese were doing against them, you know, that, that was mentioned in the 2005 movie. They turned out that they, they knocked out one of these things, you know, if the Japanese can do that, we can do it. You know? Sure. Yeah. Um, and you know, what, what's happening in France, what's happening in Zambia, you know? Um, yeah. I,
2: I, I'm, did we talk about this on the course? Cause it sounds familiar.
1: Yeah. Yeah. About like having an anthology of
2: stories from different. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah. A on a the 100th of anniversary of war of the worlds, uh, the, from the broadcast, cause we've already passed the 100th anniversary of the book. I would love to see an anthology of war of the Worlds science fiction, where it isn't set necessarily in the Western culture of the world but from countries all around the world yeah i did
1: appreciate that in the in the 2005 movie right they mentioned the ukraine you know like that that <laughs> was the first place that seemed to get hit and yeah that, that goes back to what i was saying about they come over and land maybe they land in a large landmass like russia, russia and, and <laughs> china you know, eastern europe um rather than england or new jersey right <laughs> like yes. two, two tiny little specks um
2: it's like playing the game of risk and starting in australia oh that was always oh. a great place to start <laughs> just because you couldn't be attacked but you didn't have any resources mm-hmm. true true yeah yeah that would be cool to to have
1: like an anthology of of uh wars of the world
0: yeah there's great potential for that
1: mm-hmm. uh any final thoughts i think we should rank them i think we should I, I mean we this has been on the list since we started the podcast i know <laughs> One, took 11 this. years ago yeah. uh no it was 10
2: 10 yeah all right so yeah.
0: which one's the rankest
2: <laughs> well, you get to, everyone does their own individual ranking because, yeah. you know, likes and dislikes from each person.
0: Right. And, and also limited by how many adaptations you actually watched. Right. Because yeah, yeah. I must confess, I did not watch... If like, you have to recuse yourself the, from one of
1: them, that's okay.
0: Right. I did not watch all the George Powell adaptations. Yeah. I haven't thought about my ranking yet, so... All right. You we'll <laughs> can start with your it. dad. Exactly. Yes.
2: Boy, you know, there's the nostalgia from the 1953. There's the, can- the canonicity of 2019. The 2005 movie, like I said, it's you know it's got a redemption story for the dad, and there's a dad. And I, I did find the book a little slow paced and sloggy at times. I read pretty quickly, like uh, it's probably not a great comparison, but I've read four books in the last week. <laughs> Granted, three of them were from the Percy Jackson series, and I probably should be sleeping more. Uh, so maybe I'll I'll do, I'll do a mix of of me. I, I really do like the 2005 movie. Okay, it's really good. Uh, after that, I think I would I'd have to put the book in for canonicity purposes. That's that's me. Uh, the radio play, mm, I think, I is immensely important yeah. because I don't think without the radio play that people would know about War of the Worlds. I mean, mm. we know a lot of other Wells works, but mm-hmm. you can say you can go to somebody on the street and say, "Hey, you know Orson Welles War of the Worlds," yeah, and you can have a discussion about that. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, that's a good point. And, and then I think I would say 1953 and 2019. Okay. Uh, yeah, the flash forwards, it was an interesting addition. Mm-hmm. Just, I didn't like it. Yeah. Are you ready? I think so. Wait. Okay.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I have to rank the book as the highest. I think it's just the most definitive version.
2: Just because you're sitting yeah. here with your dad, you don't have to do it. Yeah, I can plug my ears and you can say something different. <laughs> yeah.
0: Um, I almost ranked the radio play lower because I was coming from the perspective and trying to think about it through the lens of realism. You know, how, how mm. good was it at... Uh, achieving its its purpose, which was to sound as much like a real-time invasion yeah. as possible. Um, and the first half definitely accomplishes that, although some things are definitely way too fast-paced even for that. But I, I think it was the back half of the, the radio play being records from the professor's diary does kind of break the immersion. Um, but if you leave all that aside, I think it was without a doubt the most entertaining uh, of all the adaptations yeah and, and, and the would, way we saw it was the best way to see it oh yeah right? live yeah. performance yeah, i mean yeah. it's it's hard to get anything better than that i don't know that i'm that we're going to draw a distinction between the live performance that we saw and the original recording no. of orson wells because it's the same material it's just a yeah uh, revival of it yeah a representation
2: of mm-hmm. it yeah. one did have a slightly larger impact than the live performance that we saw
0: well, of course yeah. yeah yeah and like you said it, it was the the thing that kicked all of this off Mm-hmm. Then I would have to say the 2005 version. Based on what little I saw, I would rank the George Powell version below that. And then finally, and, and much further below the years, would be the 2019 BBC yeah. miniseries. There there are just too many mistakes and... Diversions. Exactly. Yeah. That, that it just makes a weaker piece of entertainment.
1: All right. I'm having... I'm having kind of a hard time figuring out my rankings because I feel like yeah like the influence of the the radio play and the experience that we got for it like to me moves it up pretty close to the top just because getting to see that performance of it was was really cool the added value of of being there in person for it. So I think I will go ahead and put that first. And then I'm really torn between the 2005 and the 1953 cuz I I think I think the 2005 movie is actually a better movie. Um the 1953 one towards the end is just a lot of shots of the craft going around and shooting their various rays yeah, and it gets a little repetitive um so i think i'll go 2005 then 1953 and then oh and then then probably book um because it is a little dry um wow. and so you know i've read it i've read it twice so i feel like i can i can be fair uh, about wow. that I, i'm not a huge fan of h.g Wells' writing honestly <laughs> um and then then i guess the 2019 one comes last
0: yeah, the the, end, the ending of the George Powell film reeks of the Hayes Code for sure. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. Yeah, yeah, it's just way too on the nose and ideological. You see that in a lot of '50s science fiction movies. I'm sure.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Well, I think that wraps us up then for for that. So, Tim, thank you for joining us. Yeah, it was All a right. pleasure being on. Yeah, thank thanks, you. man. Yeah, it was good to have you. So we have. We've had little bits from Kathy. We need to have her as a, on an actual microphone sometime and not just saying pew, 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 um, <laughs> like in the uh, Logan's Run episode. Um, but, uh, and then, then you'll have your whole family covered. So. I know. Yeah. We're, we're signing off. So thank you everybody for listening. And until next time, may the road rise up to meet you and may the book always fall open to where you left off.
2: Bye everybody. Bye. I would love to see War of the Worlds from the perspective of countries all around the united states countries uh, countries <laughs> all around the world <laughs> oh boy try that again <laughs> For real